the Old Testament, Numbers chapter 25. Trust that you had a good prayer time. I know we'll take those prayer lists and use them throughout the week, and I know that God is at work in each of these situations, and so we're thankful to be able to pray for one another, bring our needs before the throne of grace. Numbers chapter 25, we will look at a priest by the name of Phineas, and uh, he is, well this name I should say is also uh, found later in Eli's uh, sons that ended up uh, dying on the battlefield, they desecrated the priesthood, this is not the Phineas of Hophni and Phineas that were Eli's sons in the book of 1 Samuel. Um, this is the Phineas of uh, the book of Numbers, uh, early in the, uh, the days of the tabernacle and in the wilderness, and uh, we'll look at him tonight. There's also one other individual identified as Phineas in the book of Ezra, and he would not be, uh, of course, this individual, and uh, very little is known about that, that person. So, Phineas, priest of character and courage. We come to Numbers chapter 25, and we are coming off of three chapters here that have to do with Balaam and his attempt to curse Israel by the orders of Balak, king of Moab. So, Moab was... The descendants of Lot through incest with his daughter. Remember, Lot had two daughters that came with him out of Sodom and Gomorrah, and they both committed incest with Lot, got him drunk, committed incest, and there were two nations, one of which was Moab, that came from uh, these, these incestuous daughters. And uh, we talked about Lot a few weeks ago, and we know that he vexed his righteous soul with the, the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah. And what a tragic end to his life. And then Moab became an enemy of Israel. And we see Moab being antagonistic toward Israel. And in Numbers 22, 23, and 24, we see Balaam hired by Balak and told to pronounce a curse on Israel. And Balaam couldn't do it. And yet Balaam would continue to go as a hireling and try to bring a curse. And then he was even stopped by the donkey. And the donkey spoke to him on his way to try to go and, and curse Israel. And of course God stopped him and out of his mouth came blessings. So Balak finally gave up. But in Numbers 25 we read, And Israel abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. What happened? In Balaam's pagan, wicked idolatry, he introduced Israel to the idolatry and the immorality of the Moabites. And the Midianites joined with them. The Midianites had... Uh, will, will later be one of the countries, one of the peoples of Canaan that will 
afflict Israel during the book of Judges. So here we see the Midianites already antagonistic toward Israel. They join forces with the Moabites, and the Moabites are now committing immorality and have led Israel into idolatry. So a couple of short notes about Phineas, and then we'll get to the first point in our outline. If you have the prayer bulletin tonight, you might see the outline with a few blanks. If you want to use that to follow along, uh, maybe that will help you tonight. We see, first of all, that Phineas was a man of character. He was a man of character. Again, Numbers 25, and let's go down to verse number 2. And they called the people unto the sacrifices of their gods, and the people did eat and bowed down to their gods. And Israel joined himself unto Belpeor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said unto Moses, Take all the heads of the people and hang them up before the Lord against the sun, that the fierce anger of the Lord may be turned away from Israel. And Moses said unto the judges of Israel, Slay ye every one his men that were joined unto Bel Peor. And behold, one of the children of Israel came and brought unto his brethren a Midianitish woman in the sight of Moses, in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel, who were weeping before the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And when Phinehas... The son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, saw it. He rose up from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand. And he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through, the man of Israel and the woman through her belly. So the plague was stayed from the children of Israel. And those that died in the plague were twenty and four thousand. The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, hath turned my wrath away from the children of Israel, while he was zealous for my sake among them, that I consumed not the children of Israel in my jealousy. Wherefore say, Behold, I give unto him my covenant of peace, and he shall have it, and his seed after him, even the covenant of an everlasting priesthood, because he was zealous for his God and made an atonement for the children of Israel. Here is a man of character. He is grandson to Aaron, so he did have some good blood, so to speak. He had been associated with the tabernacle, with the sacrificial system that had been instituted now and that was being carried forth. But still, Phineas, as probably a young man, had to step into this conflict as a Israelite brings his uh, immoral partner with him and they publicly commit this sin in flagrant violation of God's law, while there is judgment starting, while there is a pronouncement of God's judgment, this public sin occurs. And Phineas, in his zeal, in his righteous anger, deals with it in that dispensation in a way that God allowed, that God would approve of that was appropriate in that day, in that dispensation. Because what was the penalty for idolatry and immorality that had already been spelled out in the law? Capital punishment. That is actually a mercy of God. Because look at the rampant immorality and idolatry in our land today and around the world. And when there is the excess of that and no judgment, I know there is judgment. I'm not saying that there isn't judgment. God's going to deal. But in the dispensation of the theocracy of Israel, the judgment was death. 
for this kind of behavior. That has a deterring effect, doesn't it? We see it in our culture today when there is, and we, we don't live in a theocracy, we're not under the, the, the Mosaic law and the theocratic kingdom and the rules of the Mosaic law that was for a purpose, for a time, and we, we don't need to go into all that tonight. But when there is consequences for sin, it has a deterring effect. It doesn't mean that there will not ever be sin because man is stubborn, man is a sinner, and we still do sinful things even though we know that there is chastening coming. But here is the chastening judgment hand of God in a very literal way as Phineas takes that javelin and he spears two individuals who are publicly, flagrantly defying God and the very judgment that had just been pronounced. And Phineas had a zeal for the Lord that I wish that each of us as believers had more of, that I know I need more of. Because we live in a complacent, comfortable, convenient, customer service Christianity. I say it all the time, but we have Christians who are just lazy in their church attendance, lazy in their Bible study, lazy in their theology, lazy in their obedience. And we wonder why our culture is in the condition that it's in. We wonder why we have the political leaders that we do because the political leaders reflect, sadly, reflect the majority of the population. We often get the leaders that we deserve because of the sins of the people. We talked about nations on Sunday night and we see the consequences of nations that are led by those who are in rebellion against God and lead the people to rebel against God that overlook and condone and celebrate sin. We are in a culture now that celebrates some of the worst perversions that we can possibly imagine. I, I can't even talk about things that I hear on the news that I don't even want to bring up because I don't want it to be all about the news, but the wicked perversions that are celebrated even by the highest offices of our land. It is going to bring judgment from God. Our God is a consuming fire. And that speaks to the purity of our God. It also speaks to the judgment. It speaks to our need to reverence him in holy fear. And we also need to worship him and obey him and serve him. We see here Phineas, a man of character. He had the character to believe God and act righteously. Why did Phineas act so zealously for the Lord in a way that would have probably caused a matter of shock and awe? Because there were people who no doubt were standing there. They're talking about the weeping as the judgment of God is coming on the, the camp. How many people end up dying? 24,000. We understand that there were probably even leaders because there's another passage of scripture that refers to there being 23,000. Not that there's a contradiction in the word of 
God, but either 24,000 was the total, 23,000 died on one day and 1,000 on the other, or the 23,000 had to do with the congregants and the 1,000 had to do with the leaders. They are complementary passages, not, not contradictory. But 24,000 people. So there is death in the camp. And then there's this public, flagrant violation of God's law. And Phineas says, I've got to do something about it. As a priest, as a Levite, as a grandson of Aaron, having no doubt been versed in the law and observed the holiness of God, I can only imagine Eliezer, excuse me, Phineas, uh, being the son of Eliezer, I can only imagine Phineas as the tabernacle is being constructed, as the law has been given and the precise way in which they are to build the tabernacle, the precise way in which the sacrifices are to be given, the reflection of the holiness of God, the symbolism, the way in which God has provided for Israel. I don't know what age he would have been coming out of Egypt, but Phineas, it was real to him. His Christian life was real. His faith was real. He saw a flagrant violation with the judgment of God coming. He saw that public defiance of God's law. And he was determined he was going to do something about it. Now, I'm not saying that we pick up javelins and start throwing them at people around the country. In, in the homes and the apartments and the different places around our nation where there's gross immorality and there's idolatry. Obviously, again, that was that dispensation. That's not what we are told to do today. But is there not still the same principle of holiness? Does not the command to have no other gods before me still in the moral character of God and still a part of the moral standard that we should be upholding? Is it not a law that reflects the morality of our God and the holiness of our God, that it should burn within us a desire for God's righteousness, for God's standard to be upheld? But immorality, even among Christians, is almost overlooked. How did the culture get to the point where you have litter boxes now in school buildings? Because people now think that their children can pretend to be a cat. In addition to changing into whatever number of genders that the wicked culture in which we live has come up with. How did we ever get there? In some ways it's because we have believers who looked away, who looked aside from immorality. In their own homes, in their own lives. We have believers who look the other way. I'm not saying, I'm not, this is not, this is not a condemnation of people who have been through a divorce. That's, that's not my point here. There, there are many believers who I've met through the years who have come through a divorce and they have gotten things fixed and they are serving God faithfully to this day. And some of them are, are, are in, in our church who are faithfully, they love the Lord and they serve the Lord. 
But there are Christians, whole segments of Christians, so-called professing believers who have turned the other way at divorce and it's no big deal. And they come out on the news as professing Christians and they make a mockery of God's institution of marriage. They are so flippant. They make light of marriage and divorce. Oh, it's no big deal. So if, the, if Christians make light of marriage and the sanctity of marriage and human life and gender and the permanency of marriage and the morality of life and the physical union between a husband and a wife, if Christians make light of that, in our engaging in the sins of the world, in our reaping the consequences of the seeds that have been sown of immorality and idolatry, then it's no wonder the culture shifts into outright flagrant rebellion against God and his order and his design. Phineas had a zeal for the Lord. He was a man of character. He believed God and he acted upon that faith. He acted righteously. And he was a man of courage. Wow, what a courage that must have taken to deal with that sin so publicly and so violently. Jesus would later say in the, in the Gospels about plucking out our eye, cutting off our hand, because we should be so desirous of eternal life in a right relationship with God as we enter into heaven that it'd be better for us to have our hand cut off or eye plucked out than to have two eyes and two hands and end up in hell. Here we have a man, Phineas, with the courage to take on the sin of the land and do so, in this case, very violently and very publicly. And call it what it is. Isn't it sad in our society today, even in churches? I was just listening again to where a certain denomination has come to in another split among, I don't know how many in this denomination. I haven't followed this denomination, but we would recognize this denomination if I said it. It'd come to our minds immediately. It's back in the news because of their compromise when it comes to the LGBTQ issue. And this commentator was talking about how they, many years ago, they gave up the deity of Christ, the virgin birth of Christ, the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, the inspiration of the word of God, the infallibility of the word of God. They gave that up many years ago, so it's no wonder that now they are ordaining openly homosexual and transgendered bishops and priests in their denomination. And finally, after all these years, there's a group of people who are saying, well, we've had enough. We've put up with all these other compromises, but this is, this is too far. And I'm thinking, well, where were you however many years ago when the denomination was giving up cardinal, fundamental, foundational doctrines? Why didn't somebody stand up then? Why did it take this? But we see that many times, where we allow, the, we allow Satan to get a toehold 
And then it becomes a foothold. Then it becomes a stronghold. Then it becomes a stranglehold on our lives. And that sin is strangling our spiritual life and has ruined our testimony for the Lord. He acted courageously. We just read the passage. He took on the immorality in a very violent way, in a very public way, and God honored him for it. We won't go into the details, but the Moabites and the Midianites were known for their cultic sexual practices that often centered around their false gods and idol worship. Phineas knew. These were the people that they were told to drive out already. What had they done? Just back in, what was it, Numbers 14? What had they done? Oh, the the Canaanites are, are too big. They have strong cities. Oh, the land is full of milk and honey. And oh, yes, the grapes are, are so big. It takes two people, to two men to carry them, the clusters of grapes. But there are giants in the land. And in their lack of faith, they rebelled. And only Joshua and Caleb and, of course, Moses in a very small group said, no, we can take the land. This is the promised land. This is the land that God has given to us. And now they're in the wilderness. And they're wandering for 40 years under the judgment of God. And there are some who are now looking at the land of Canaan. And they're saying, hmm, you know, milk and honey, big grapes, but they have idols. And they have sins that maybe we could just dabble in a little bit. I mean, our God has put us out in this wilderness for 40 years and the doubts begin to come and Balaam comes and he can't curse them. But instead, he begins to introduce them through sensuality, through immorality, introduces them to Baal worship, the God of fertility. And before long, there are compromising Israelites sneaking out of the camp and committing immorality and bowing down to Baal. And they are practicing the cultic sexual practices that I can't even describe from this pulpit. That is now able to be found on the internet and that is being promoted in our culture. Not too different than what is the sins of Canaan. It's despicable evil. And Phineas said, we are not going to allow this in the camp. We are going to deal with this. And he picks up his javelin, and he goes after those two, and he spears them through. And in addition to those two, there were 24,000 in total who died as a consequence for their immorality and their idolatry. And Phineas wasn't done with that. We read later in Numbers 31 that he led a victorious battle against the Midianites. Balaam had introduced this sin, and then Balaam went on his way and continued to perform his religious duties as a false prophet, and eventually he meets his demise as Phineas leads the army out, and they defeat the Midianites, and We can read in other passages of the reference to the sins of Balaam, even all the way into Revelation 2, where one of the churches is practicing immorality 
after the sins of Balaam and what he introduced to Israel and the Moabites. And Phineas continues to be the one who is held up as the man who dealt with the sin. The priest, in his righteous anger, in his zeal for God's holiness, dealt with the sin of the camp. So what does God do in honoring Phineas? Numbers 25, and we read a couple of these verses already, but notice down in verse 13, and he shall have it in his seed after him, even the covenant of an everlasting priesthood, because he was zealous for his God and made an atonement for the children of Israel. What happens? What is the honor that God bestows upon Phineas? He gives him an everlasting priesthood. The priesthood would go through his specific family line. Aaron had other children. Eliezer had other children. Aaron to Eliezer to the family of Phineas. And his priesthood would extend all the way into the millennial kingdom. Ezekiel 40, 44, and 48 makes reference to this priesthood. What an honor. It, it was, this act was even considered a, such a righteous act that in Phineas's faith, he believed God and like Abraham was counted unto him for righteousness. There was an atonement that was made. And we read that at the end of chapter 13, or at the end of verse 13, excuse me, in chapter 25. What an incredible honor that Phineas received. That extended even and extends even into the future that will be realized in the millennial kingdom. It's, it's, a, it's an incredible honor. And it speaks to, again, when we do what is right, when we honor the Lord, when we have a zeal for the Lord and for his righteousness and his holiness and the things of God and we reverence him and we serve him with godly fear, we leave the results up to God. We trust God with the results and God will bring the honor when we humble ourselves before him, when we serve him faithfully. No one else may recognize it. Yes, God stayed the plague. Right then and there, the plague came to an end. Yes, there was an immediate declaration of Phineas's righteousness. There was an immediate declaration of honor and atonement that God recognized, but it also extended into the millennial kingdom. And so for generations, as the next priest would come to serve, what would be the reminder? Phineas. Phineas had a zeal for the Lord. He had a zeal for the holiness of God. He speared those people in that day who were in gross immorality and defiance against God. Phineas, his family, his sons are the priests, the high priests, serving in the tabernacle, serving in the temple. A perpetual reminder of Phineas's zeal in consecration to the Lord. Think about what that does for us as fathers, as parents, for our families. 
I look around this room. I think of people I've met through the years. I think of pastors, but not just pastors, just faithful church members who sit in the pews, who sit in church and serve the Lord, and they look back. I think of my own mom and dad who grew up in broken homes. My grandpa was a drunk. My dad is supporting his family at age 15, but my mom and dad said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I am just a small piece of the grace of God. I stand here by the grace of God. And my, 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 my children are influenced by a grandma and a grandpa. I look at Kelly's mom and dad. We are blessed to have parents who feared God, who determined as her dad got saved coming out of the Vietnam War as an unsaved man who watched his own comrades die on the field in a bullet whizzed by his head that would have sent him into eternity. He gets saved and they determine and he continues to faithfully serve the Lord to this day. And I watched as he is in the hospital watching my mother-in-law fail in her health and he says, I just can't wait to get back to church. That set a post in the lives of my own wife. I'm blessed by that. Do you think that God doesn't honor when we, in a sense, drive down the stake and say we are going to serve the Lord? We're going to love God. doesn't matter what the world's doing. I, I surrender. The world behind me, the cross before me. And that's Phineas. And I have been... Blessed to see multitudes of people who they determined, no matter what kind of background they had, no matter what kind of bad examples they had, they were going to love the Lord, they were going to serve the Lord. And sometimes there's three or four or five generations. We see the pictures on Facebook, on Instagram, and we say, grace of God. Phineas has that kind of testimony. We close here. He's recognized in Psalm 106, but we'll have to close with this in order to keep it alliterated. He was a man of character, of courage, and of conciliation. In Joshua 22, there were tribes of Israel who had their inheritance. We have Reuben, Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh that stayed on the east side of the Jordan River. They went in and they helped defeat the people of Canaan. But as they went back to their inheritance, they put an altar in the Jordan River, or near the Jordan River. I forget exactly where it was at. Uh, somewhere there near or in the Jordan River. And the other tribes said, wait a minute here. Reuben, Gad, and half of Manasseh, they, they're starting another idolatry here. They, they've got an altar. And they, they actually begin to pick up arms to go and to take on Reuben and Gad and half of Manasseh to tell them that this altar is idolatry and they're going to pay for it. And who comes along? Phineas. And he listens to Reuben, Gad, and half of Manasseh, and they say, no, this altar that we built, this pile of stones, is a memorial to God. We crossed the Jordan River, and we put these stones there so we can look back and see this is what God has done. This is not an altar to a false god. This is not idolatry. And Phineas talked to both sides, and he offered a ministry of conciliation. And he cleared up the misunderstanding. How many times is that all it takes? When the Spirit of God is at work and two people want God to be honored, and many times I've seen it over and over and over, two people or 
more sitting down and getting things worked out, understanding the per perspective and how many times do we have to do this in our own marriages. And conflict resolution that's done by the principles of the word of God and it's amazing what God does. And oftentimes unites hearts together and makes us stronger. And Phineas did that. Because here we had him continually with a zeal for the righteousness of God where there was a misunderstanding. He stepped in, listened to both sides, and came to the right conclusion. And the tribes of Israel remained united. And God was honored. So we see Phineas. What a testimony of character, of courage, and conciliation. Hope this has been a help and an encouragement to us tonight. Uh, let's close in prayer and then we'll be dismissed. Lord, we thank you for our time in the word, our time of prayer. Lord, we pray for Brother Jerry that, Lord, you will help him, that the doctors will be able to get his blood pressure regulated and figure out what's going on there. We think of others who have different needs. We think of Phyllis as she's recovering tonight and uh, Patty as well. And, uh, Lord, we give all these uh, needs to you. We trust you with them. We know that, Lord, your grace is sufficient. Guide and direct us throughout the remainder of this week. Help us, Lord, to be faithful and obedient. Pray you give us opportunities with the gospel and maybe serve you faithfully. And may we follow uh, the example of Phineas and have a zeal for your holiness and for your righteousness and live that out each and every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for coming tonight. Hope that you have a great rest of the week. Look forward to seeing you again on Sunday.